Bowing your heads, please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for the greater glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, since this is a Confirmation Sunday, I I am going to assume that some people are here that that were not here for the last two weeks, and I wasn't either, (laughs) but I'm told that you've been uh, doing a sermon series on hearing God speak, and that uh, the Sunday before last, it was on hearing God speak through the Scriptures. And then last Sunday, it was hearing God speak through others. And what I'm assigned to is to speak on hearing God speak through the Holy Spirit. If one is looking for a formula to get God to speak to you, I'm not sure I can be of much help in that. I've heard God speak heard his voice in some remarkable ways. I suppose some people might even describe them as miraculous. But it's always been in the context of a life lived with God, not a life separate from God. Not about getting God to give me the goods, to get me out of a tight situation, or to tell me what I ought to do next. Not that he doesn't do that, he often does. But that's not how I've heard the Spirit of God speak. October 1983, I was just finishing a week-long backpacking trip in the high Sierra of California, near where I grew up. A friend and I had crossed over a 12,000-foot pass known as Glacier Pass. There's no trail over it, snow-covered. We then had found the trail on the far side and were hiking down. The aspens were all aglow, golden, yellows, oranges. I let my friend go on ahead because I paused and wanted to take in the the scene. And then God spoke. It was as clear and as conversational as I'm speaking with you now. He said, you'd better enjoy this. You won't be here for a while. I didn't have the slightest idea what he meant by that. But that would be the last trip I'd have in the high Sierra of California for 14 years. Because before the next year was ended, I was living in Pennsylvania. You'd better enjoy this. You won't be here for a while. I've come to the conclusion there was no spiritual reason, no religious reason that he spoke those words to me. I was a Parish priest in a small congregation in the San Joaquin Valley. I was not looking for guidance. I was not looking for him to intervene 
in my life in any specific way. I was just basking in the beauty and the wonder of his creation, and he decided to tell me that I needed to enjoy it because I wouldn't be there for a while. I came to the conclusion now some... Uh, almost 40 years later, that it's because he loves me. No other reason. He loves me and he's on my side. And he didn't want me to miss that opportunity. He loves you too. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And you need to know he is relentless. He's not coming after you to wow you with some words and speak to you. He's coming after you that you might have an abundant life. That he might be an aspect of your life which pervades every corner of your being. And that in every situation in life, he will be there. He loves you. He's on your side. And he's coming after you. And he is relentless. So to hear God speak, to hear his voice through the spirit, it is all an aspect, I suppose, of a life lived with God, for God, in God, by God, through Jesus Christ. There are, of course, times that we need his guidance. We need to know what to do in a certain situation. We need to know what he would have us do. We have some young people in high school who are being confirmed today. At some point, they will need to probably make a decision of whether they're going to go to college or get a job, go to work. They may need to make a decision on where they're going to go, what they're going to study, what their degree should be in, and after that, what they should do with their life. At some point, they'll have to decide whether they should marry and who they should marry. All of those things are aspects of, of God's will and purpose and their choosing him and his will. Over the years when I've spoken to high school students about this whole area of guidance, I've, I've talked about the, what I call the ABCs of guidance. A stands for the advice of Christian friends, of those who have our best interest in mind. It can be parents, it can be grandparents, it can be counselors, it can be teachers, it can be fellow journeyers in this pathway of life who walk the path of Jesus with us. A stands for the advice of others. B stands for the Bible. You've been looking at that and how God speaks to us through the scriptures. Sometimes he highlights a passage that we're reading it as if almost it's in neon. It jumps off the page. It seems to be specifically for us. At other times, we just have the swath and flow of scripture there in our minds in such a way that it's recalled at the moment that we need to make a decision. One example would be when my wife and I 
were married uh, and we had gone up to Sacramento, California to finish up my last year in college. We ran out of money. We moved back down to my hometown of California. I got a job working as an electrician for the Santa Fe Railroad. We were living in my parents' house trying to get our lives back together again because we ran out of money up in college. And we were walking through an apartment that we were thinking about renting. And I had the scriptures brought to my mind of the children of Israel needing to decide whether they'd enter the promised land or wander around for 40 years. I thought, we're, we're going to rent that apartment. I'm not going to live with my parents for 40 years. Thank you. So that was the scripture speaking, God speaking through the scriptures. A, B, Bible, C, conscience. You know that 90% of guidance in your life is moral. If you do the moral thing, you'll do what God wants you to do. And our conscience can be our guide, but our conscience can only be our guide if it is shaped, rooted, cultivated, nurtured in the Word of God, in a right way of living, and a right understanding of reality and truth. If our conscience has been screwed up, cauterized, or overly scrupulous, it will lead us astray. Some people have resisted their conscience so long a callus has developed over it and they can no longer hear it speak. You read of people who do ridiculous, crazy, evil things, who take a gun and plow down a bunch of people because their conscience has been cauterized long before they ever picked up the gun. Their conscience has been calloused and resisted over and over again, even at a young age. Sometimes the conscience is overly scrupulous and it beats you up. You've heard the voice of condemnation so long in the family in which you grew up that it sounds forth through your conscience over and over. Some of us grew up hearing, you better clean your plate, children are starving in China. Now they tell us, you better do your homework because somebody in India wants your job. But some of us ended up cleaning our plate long after we should have been cleaning our plate and we put on too much food. But we see the plate there with food in it. We have to eat it because the conscience says eat it because it has been shaped by that voice. But the conscience needs to be shaped by the scriptures and a life lived in the people of God so that it's holy, healthy, and good and guides us right. Then there are circumstances. C also stands for circumstance. James Dobson said when he has a decision to make, he says, I get down on my knees and say, Lord, I need to know what you want me to do. And I'm listening. Please speak to me through my friends, books, magazines I pick up and read, and through circumstances. As Dallas Wilson says, the simplicity of this should not be misunderstood. When we are in a proper, well-functioning relationship with God, this is exactly what we are to do. Get down on our knees and say, I need to know what you would have me do. I'm listening. 
guide me through the things that come my way and through the circumstances there before me. A, B, C, and then D, the direct leading of the Holy Spirit. That's what we heard in the reading from uh, about Elijah today. He had been going through a tough time. He had been going through a time of religious despondency. He had done a mighty work for God. Won a mighty victory through prayer. God had showed up with power. And all he got for it was a threat of death by the queen of the country. So he ran away into the desert and licked his wounds. Then an angel came, gave him some food, touched him with a holy touch, and the scriptures say he went with that for 40 days up to a mountain named Oreb. And he went into a cave, the very cave that Moses had gone into when the Lord had spoken to him and said, you will not see my face, but you will see me pass by and you will see my presence passing by. So he went into the cave, and the Lord's word came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? I was very jealous for the Lord. I poured out my life for you, God. And what do I get for it? But these threats of death... And I'm no better than those who went before me. Did you really think, Elijah, you were going to be? <laughs> because we're doing something for God. Sometimes we think things ought to go well and we ought to succeed. And then the Lord sent a mighty wind that rushed against the mountain and broke the rocks. But God was not in the mighty wind. And he sent an earthquake that shook the mountain. But God was not in the earthquake. And then from the entrance of the cave, he saw fire burning. And the Lord was not in the fire. And then after the wind and the earthquake and the fire, a still quiet voice a whisper the whisper of God's voice and he wrapped himself in his cowl in his robe you know we were just singing Holy Spirit you are welcome here your presence is what our hearts long for really sometimes when his presence comes it undoes us 
When, Elijah, when, he, when Isaiah went into the presence of the Lord and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, whose train filled the temple and he heard the seraphs crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I live among a people whose lips utter lies and gossip. And I myself am unclean. Woe is me. I'm undone. Sometimes when the presence of God comes, you are left undone by his presence. You see, we Americans sometimes act as if we can walk up and shake the hand of God. He is a burning fire. He is a glorious flame. He's a fire of love, but he burns up the chaff and the junk in our lives. So Elijah goes to the front of the cave and he steps outside, his face covered up with his robe. And the voice comes again and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very jealous for the Lord, he says. I've been very jealous for you. And what's it all come to? And then God gives him a job. God does speak. He speaks with power. I still remember a month after my conversion, I came to Christ as a junior in college at the age of 21. Within a week, I'd been filled with the Spirit at an African-American church and baptized in water at that church. And then I went home for the holidays. My family was a mess. My brother on drugs, my parents trying to help him. He was estranged from his wife. I got into an argument with my father over Jesus. (laughs) Said some things in my witness that I should not have done, overstepped my bounds. In the argument with my dad, I said, if dad, you'd better repent and turn to the Lord. He's going to strike you down like Job. You know, I'm not, that's not a good thing to say to your dad. <laughs> I was a little, had more zeal than since. After the Christmas holidays, I drove back up to where I was going to college. It was a four and a half hour drive and I was stewing about all of this and I had uh, things of, of girls that I was dating or liked that was rolling around in my mind how that all fits in. And I drove up to the little place where I was living just a hovel, got out of my car and walked in and I heard this presence seem to say, lie down on the bed, clear your mind of everything. So I lie down on the bed, cleared my mind. And I heard this voice. Whether it was audible or not, I do not know. God knows. It came as if it was coming down through all the corridors of history, the ancient of days. The voice said, do not be troubled about your mother, your, your brother, your father, for I will help them. 
I was trying to decide whether I was going to drop out after the semester was over because this whole thing had shaken me up so much. It was such an upheaval. The voice said, continue on your own, your reading and writing, but do not forget me, do not forget me, do not forget me, for I love you greatly. You will have your woman when you need her. You shall both strive together, and you shall both find favor in my sight. But do not forget me, do not forget me, do not forget me, for I love you greatly. You will find favor in the eyes of men, but only with those who love me. Do not forget me. Do not forget me. Do not forget me. And the voice left. And the room was filled with a holy silence and peace. And I knew God had spoken. I could go on, but the questions before us is are there any If, as I said at the beginning, I have no formula to get God to speak to you, there are some practical guidelines, no gimmicks, no no surefire techniques, but just some practical guidance. We, you and I, can ask God to open our ears to his voice. And we can ask him to encourage us to seek him. I was talking with my wife, Allison, not long ago, and I said, you know, it's dawned on me that we were converted in a revival. In a revival time in, in America. I was converted in 1971. I didn't know at the time I was converted that there was a huge movement of the Holy Spirit in California. Now they call it the Jesus movement. Late 60s, early 70s. God was doing a mighty thing with a bunch of kids that had blown their minds out with drugs and gone down a dark path. And God wanted to demonstrate his power by having a renewal, a revival go on. In mainline churches at the same time, whether it's Lutheran, Presbyterians, or Episcopalians, there was a charismatic renewal that awakened many people to the power of God. They had been worshiping with the forms of religion and denying the power thereof, and God wanted to show a bunch of staid, cold, frozen chosen (laughs) that he was real. And people began to experience healings and the gifts of the Spirit that are spoken of in the Acts of the Apostles, like speaking in tongues and prophecy, falling down under the power of the Spirit, all of these happening in mainline churches that had never seen anything but proper decorum. So I'm realizing now, as we, Allison and I were talking, I thought, you know, there's a whole generation of clergy that don't know the power of God in this way. Oh, they've read the Bible. They've worked with youth groups. They've come through youth groups. They believe. 
But when they read the things about God moving with power and, and miraculous conviction, they don't know it personally. I'm not talking about Father Chris now. Because he knows. You see, I wanted just as much of God as God wanted to give me. Now, if you want a formula of any kind or some practical advice, that's the best I can give you. If you want to know and receive as much of God as God wants to give you, you are on the pathway for him to speak, for him to guide, for him to show up in remarkable ways. The second is we can create in our lives spaces, place where we can hear his voice. Evelyn Underhill was a wonderful um, writer on the spiritual life in the early decades of the 20th century on into the, the time of World War II. She tells of a, a woman who was coming from the island of Iona in Scotland. And as she got off the boat from uh, on the mainland, a Scotsman asked her where she had been, and she said uh, she had been to Iona, and the Scotsman said, oh, Iona, ah, oh, it's a very thin place. She said, what do you mean a thin place? There's not much between God and you when you're there. We can cultivate in our lives thin places. There are those people we come across who seem to live in the thin places where God is real and alive and at any moment may do something remarkable in your life and theirs. We can cultivate in our lives attentiveness to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What, a, what an interesting question. What are you doing here? Well, maybe I'll ask that of you today. What are you doing here? What do you want God to do? And what does he want you to do? And is he even in your frame of reference about anything that lies before you? What are you doing here? God asks that question of us. Do not forget me. Do not forget me. Do not forget me, for I love you greatly. I guess he's easy to forget. No matter how close he's come. In reading, studying, meditating on God's word, we learn to know his voice. That's how you know it's him speaking. You know, I bet when, when, when your uh, cell phone rings, even before, even if you didn't have a chance to see who was calling you, you just answered it, and as soon as the person speaks, some, you sometimes recognize their voice. I know also when I pick up my phone and there's nothing on the other end, I thought, telemarketer, one, two, three, four, then they come. So you know right away it's a telemarketer or whether it's a voice you know. If you know the scriptures and know what God is like, you know when the voice that speaks in your mind is of God or not. 
and then opening our lives to him. How much time do I have? I guess it's time to bring this to a conclusion. <laughs> you know, you're the one that asked me to speak on this. <laughs> Let me conclude with this. I've got to tell this story fast. So I'm going to sh- cut out a lot. How in the world did I get here to South Carolina? From Bakersfield, California, fifth generation Californian. We had this guy come to our church named Michael Flynn. When the healing team wanted to invite him to come, I said, you know, I thought to myself, he's out there, but I've been here for nine years. Whatever he unleashes, I I can guide. So I thought. He spoke about healing power of Jesus on Friday night. Saturday morning, there's about 150 of us there in the parish hall at tables, and he's speaking on the power of Jesus to go back into the dark rooms and corridors and closets of your memory and heal the deep pain and wounds of your life. 15 minutes till 12, he says, we don't have enough time any longer for me to to teach before a lunch break. I'm just going to serenade you in the spirit. I thought, oh, Lord, that means he's going to sing in tongues. (laughs) Now, this was not a charismatic Episcopal church. This was an evangelical Episcopal church. And before I came there, it was the liberal church of the diocese. But in nine years, they'd become the evangelical church of the diocese. But they didn't know anything about praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, singing in tongues. I thought, oh, Lord, here it is. But I thought, there's not much I can do about it. Might as well just sit at the table and relax. He said, just sit at your table and let God do whatever God wants to do. So as he began to sing in the spirit, at first it sounded like an African tongue. And I saw myself journeying through the savannah of Africa in my mind's eye. Then he changed his tongue and it sounded like a Celtic language. And I saw myself journeying through Celtic land. Then he changed his tongue again, and it sounded like an African spirit, uh, African-American spiritual of the Deep South. And I saw myself journeying through the Deep South. He changed it again, and I saw myself hiking over the mountains of the West. And then he changed the tongue again. He was still singing in an unknown language, but I heard it in English, and it was addressed to me. And the words were, the journey begins, the journey begins, the journey begins. Pack your things, pack your things, pack your things. Give your children your blessing. You've been in one place long enough. And then the Spirit of God came over me, and I wept quietly there at the table. Told my wife. We didn't tell anyone about the voice that had spoken. But when I told her the word, she began to weep, and the Spirit of God came over her, and she collapsed on the floor and wept. God had spoken. A month later, a friend calls from Ohio, who had been an intercessor for for us since our seminary days. For 30 years, he'd been praying for us. He'd never done anything like this before. He called and said, I was praying for you this morning. God said he was going to take you out of your church in California and move you into a place of national importance, and you are to prepare the faithful for the battle ahead. 
Before the end of the week, Bishop Hathaway called and asked if I'd put my name in to be bishop of the Diocese of South Carolina. And against all odds, Charlestonians and South Carolinians elected a bishop to, from California. <laughs> my talk about a miracle. <laughs> and it has been a battle from the day one. And I have found favor in the eyes of men and women, but only with those who love me. Those words spoken a month after my conversion have been true. He wants to speak. Once he finds a way that you can hear him, he'll use it over and over and over again. But he's no genie in a bottle to pull out whenever you need him. It flows out of a life lived with him, for him, in him, and by him. So let me just conclude with this. What I learned hiking down from the mountain, God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. And his love is relentless. You might as well surrender right now and say, here I am, Lord. Take me as I am, just as I am, and do with me as you would do. And you'll hear him speak one way or another, guaranteed. God bless you. Great being with you. He's coming after you. Amen.